Lord, let these words be spoken in your spirit. Let them be heard in your spirit. May the conversation this morning be pleasing to you. I ask that this would be a time where we come humbly before your throne, that we lay aside ourselves, and we just we desire to know you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are not going to be continuing our current sermon series today. Um, I know if you look at the, the timeline of Jesus' life, we, we should be looking at his temptation in the wilderness. And quite frankly, at the start of the week, that was what I had outlined and prepared to discuss. Um, but my heart has been in anguish this past three, four weeks. And with every week, the anguish has grown. And we must address it. Because what breaks my heart is the pattern our country falls into every time something bad happens. Every time we experience hardship in this country, it devolves into an ugly, hateful, spiteful, condemnation of anyone who dares to think differently than we do. In college, when I was in college, the Jerry Sandusky Penn State story occurred, if you remember that. And my heart was grieved. My heart was broken for the men who survived what Sandusky did. And my heart was equally broken by how our country replied to it. And my heart was stirred and I was compelled to say something. And so I wrote an op-ed that wound up published in the paper. And the response that I personally received reflected the divisiveness of our country. And it grieved me deeply and terribly. And with every subsequent tragedy that has occurred in our country, whether it's disease, whether it's poverty, whether it's homelessness, whether it's death, my heart has broken. And my heart is broken to see how our country has replied to it time and time again. And it happens within the church as well. And then we got to this pandemic. A situation no one was prepared for. A situation no one... Stop deluding yourselves. No one has any clue what they're doing. The data is changing constantly. We are doing our best in leadership. And my heart has broken to see how our country has replied to this situation. Where if you dare to think differently than I do about what reentry should look like, I, heal, I hurl insults at you, I hurl abuse at you, I make fun of you, I ridicule you because you do not agree with me on what reentry should look like. And my heart is broken. And several weeks ago, Ahmad Arbery was gunned down while out for a run. And my heart was broken. And I looked at the divisiveness that our country replied with, and my heart was broken. And more recently, George Floyd was killed, and my heart was broken. And I looked at the division that our country replied with. I looked at the hate that our country has replied with, and my heart is broken. 
and I see us asking questions, I see us posting, I see us talking about this, and I see the same question at the heart of all of it. What do we do? What do we do in the face of the evil of this world that manifests itself as violence and as hatred and as disunity and as division and as contempt and as scorn for one another? And my heart, my heart breaks because we see it in the church. And so I apologize. I apologize. I know it seems like I've been silent for a month. I haven't talked about the virus. I haven't talked about reentry. I haven't talked about, I haven't posted anything about the deaths that have happened recently. But you have to understand, I will not speak out of fear for them being my own words. I will speak when my heart is stirred and when the Spirit compels me to do so. I have drafted and I have deleted countless Facebook posts. I have drafted and revised and deleted countless emails to send to you all. This week alone, I wrote an email four separate times, and I finally sent the fourth version to the elders, and I still wasn't convinced that that was what I needed to say and how I needed to say it. And for weeks, my prayer time has been, God, I have to say something. My spirit is grieved. You are not letting me move past this. What do I say and when and how? And on Thursday morning, it became clear that this is what we were going to talk about this morning. And so I want us as a church to consider, uh, certainly I will use specific references and examples from these past weeks. I will. I, it, oh, sorry, George. Um, I will. I'll, I'll use certain and, and specific examples. But this is a discussion on how do Christians respond to the pain and suffering of this fallen world? Because, guys, we have to do better. The church has to do better in how we respond to the anguish in this world around us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I believe this to be applicable, not just now, but in any situation of tragedy where our country attempts it to turn it into an us-versus-them scenario. And I want to begin with remembering how God sees the people of this world. Because we must see this world as God does. We must love the people of this world as God does. Listen to Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You cannot watch footage of someone who was not created in the image of God. You cannot engage in a face-to-face -face conversation with someone who was not created in the image of God. You cannot type out a reply to someone who was not created in the image of God. The politicians that you disagree with their plan, they were made in the image of God. The officer who killed George Floyd was made in the image of God. So was the man who died on the pavement that day. Ahmaud Arbery was made in the image of God. So were the men who killed him. No different than you or I. We have to look at people and see someone made in the image of God. And what does that mean about those people? Because I've seen the response and I've, been, I've had this response. In one of my notebooks, you can look at different days. I just At the top it says, I feel. And over these past weeks, I've wrote, 
I've written, I feel angry. I feel helpless. I feel discouraged. I feel anguished. I feel confused. I feel conflicted. I feel convicted. I feel compelled. I understand the emotions we're feeling. And I admit that there are those feeling them far more deeply than myself. But when we look at people, and when we look at the suffering of this world, I've seen the response, and I've had this response of, Jesus, can't you come back sooner? Lord, and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We are called to desire the return of Christ. We are called to pray for the return of Christ. And I've seen a response of, God, can't you accelerate your timeline? And I'm reminded of 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Those leaders you disagree with, the people, your fellow citizens that you disagree with about this pandemic, God wants them to reach repentance and spend eternity in heaven. Ahmaud Arbery, God wants to reach repentance and spend eternity in heaven. The men who killed him, God wants to reach repentance and spend eternity in heaven. How dare I look at someone and not desire the same thing? But we have allowed the emotions of the circumstances to affect our heart for the people of this world. The church must be a people who look at this world at all sides and see people created in the image of God who God desires to reach repentance and spend eternity in heaven. I've shared with you my personal struggles on forgiving the man who abused my brother. The statement that it took me the longest time to be able to say truthfully was I hope I see him in heaven. It took me years to be able to say that and mean that. But I would be so happy to get to heaven and see Mr. Whitney. Because what a story of redemption that would be. And in all of these events, in the pain that our country feels, in the division that our country experiences, there is not a person involved in them who God does not desire to reach repentance and spend eternity in heaven. Listen to Revelations. Chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. And I apologize, we won't have one main passage this morning. But we're going to have a whole lot of scripture. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Did you catch that? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's family is made up of all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all peoples. There is one distinction between people that matter. In my mind, there are two categories that we fall into. You are currently my brother or sister in Christ, or you still have potential to become my brother and sister in Christ. That is, the, that is the only line that matters to my heart. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care what your skin looks like. I don't care what music you listen to. You are either currently my brother and sister in Christ, or you have potential to become my brother and sister in Christ. And I should desire that with everything in me. And I am sick and tired of the division that our country replies with to times of anguish. And I am devastated to see that reflected within the church. 
We need to look at the people of this world and see men and women created in the image of God, whom he desires to come to repentance, whom he desires to be in heaven. And we must respond accordingly. And I believe when we learn to see people like this, when we learn to love people like this, it will enable us to apply better Romans 12, 14 through 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If you've been persecuted or you've claimed you've been persecuted in this pandemic, and maybe we have, I don't care. Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. What is wrong with our national heart that we see people weeping and our reaction is to try and find a statistic that allows us to move past the grief? What is wrong with our national heart that we see tragedy and suffering and grief and our first response is, well, but if you look at the analytics, if you consider the numbers, no, that's not how weeping works. That's not how grieving works. That's not how lament works. The people who have died in this pandemic aren't statistics to prove your argument. The people who have died in this pandemic are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters who have lost their lives and there are those grieving that loss. Weep with them. We have to stop looking at people like numbers. We have to see people created in the image of God and we have to love them regardless of what that means for ourselves and our preconceived notions. And in that love, make no mistake, we must be wise and discerning. And I actually think, this is where I'm going to use a specific example. I think the city of Mansfield in Richland County got a great example of wisdom and discernment Friday night through Saturday afternoon. Friday afternoon, rumors began to spread of a friend who had a reputable source where thousands of violent people were going to be bussed in from Cleveland and Columbus to riot through our downtown. I watched these rumors spread. And so many of the responses I saw sickened me. The casual contempt for one another that we expressed in our, our comments on this rumor. The casual boldness with which we declared ourselves ready for violence sickened me. And what happened yesterday? There weren't thousands of violent protesters brought in to riot through our city. I think we learned a very real lesson about wisdom and discernment Friday through Saturday. Listen to these verses. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Proverbs 25, starting in verse 8, what your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? John 7.24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. I'm going to say something right now. And I want you to listen to the entirety of the sentence. 
Because when we look at these verses, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. When we look at these verses, we will give an account for every careless word we speak. We are called to be discerning. I want to read two more verses, and then I'm going to say my statement. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, But test everything, hold fast to what is good. 1 Samuel 25.33, And blessed be your discernment. This is the background for 1 Samuel 25.33. David and his men were moving through the area, and they were scorned and neglected by a man in the area who they had given their service to. They had protected his flocks, and he, he didn't repay them in kindness, right? He, he kind of rejected them. So David grabbed his men and was preparing to march for violence against this man, and this man's wife, Abigail, came rushing out to meet him. And with her wisdom and her peace, she diverted this from happening. And David replied this in 1 Samuel 25, 33. Blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Are we a people who want righteous judgment or are we a people who want vengeance? And the statement I want to make when I said I'd talk about specifics. An officer's skin color does not automatically condemn him. Nor should an officer's badge automatically protect him. We must be people who make wise judgment. We must be people of discernment. Philippians 1, 9-10, I started with the love for people that reflects God's love for people. Listen to Philippians 1, 9-10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. If we do not act in wisdom, if we do not act in discernment, I question how we can act in love. We look at these verses so that you may approve what is excellent. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 again. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. The implication in all these verses, if there is good to hold fast to, if there is excellence to approve, then there is wrong to reject. And there is things other than excellence to disprove of, disapprove of. We must be people who see this world as God does. We must love the people of this world as God does. In that love, as Philippians tells us, as we abound more and more in love, it must be love of wisdom and discernment. And in that wisdom and discernment, we will arrive at painful moments. We must be people who are courageous enough to confront evil and wrong and call it out as such. In whatever form it takes. In whatever form evil takes, we must be willing to confront it, regardless of what that means for our own sense of comfort. 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. Other translations say reject every form of evil. Have nothing to do with it. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. 
Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Pride and arrogance and perverted speech I hate. Those three words describe a mass percentage of the conversations I have witnessed about this pandemic. Pride and arrogance and perverted speech. Those three words describe a tragic percentage of the conversations I have witnessed regarding Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Pride and arrogance and perverse speech. We must hate these things. We must hate evil. Proverbs 24, 23-25, these also are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The Bible is very clear about the people who identify wrong as acceptable. We cannot be people who fall into that. And make no mistake, I believe the church historically has been at the forefront of these fights. You consider William Wilberforce, who pioneered the fight against slavery in the United Kingdom because of his Christian convictions. You look at the Quakers, who took a similar role in the abolition of slavery in the United States because of their Christian convictions. You look at the civil rights of the 50s and 60s and the numerous pastors and churches who placed themselves at the forefront of that fight. And you look at the church throughout history and in modern times, the church is at the forefront of the fight against child slavery, against sex trafficking, against genocide. The church has frequently and constantly placed itself on the front line of these fights. I am not, I don't think I'm suggesting anything new. I'm saying we must continue in this heritage. The scripture calls us to do so. Listen to Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Isaiah 1:17. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Psalm 82:3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted. In the destitute, I am not suggesting anything new. I'm suggesting we remind ourselves who we belong to and what he has called his church to do. And those are the three things that I see build up to what this fourth and final point will be. How do we respond to the tragedies of pain and suffering? and hate in this world. We remind ourselves to view the people of this world as God does. To love them with His heart. In that love, as we abound the more and more, we apply wisdom and all discernment to our words, to our actions. In that love, in that wisdom, when we confront, or when we are presented with evil, we must call it out as such and deal with it. So what can we actually do? 
That's the question I see so many people asking. What can we actually do? And that's what I want to wrap up with. Because I mentioned our country falls into the same pattern of response to tragedy. We do. We're predictable. We don't learn. We don't grow. It's tragic. We respond in the same way. And in that same response, I see the same sentiment expressed every single time. Stop praying. Do something. I see people say, yeah, yeah, your prayers are great. We don't want your prayers. We want action. I expect that from the world that doesn't know Christ. It destroys me when I see Christians say, we need to do more than pray. Prayer is not enough. It destroys me when I see those within the church say, uh-uh, now's not a time for prayer, now is a time for action. If you express that sentiment, that reveals far more about your heart towards prayer and God's power than it does the actual effectiveness and power of prayer. Because we have to understand this world that we are living in. And make no mistake, some of us were talking about it this morning, we're not going to legislate away sin. There is no quantity of laws we could pass that will remove sin from this world, that will remove evil from this world. There is nothing we can do to eradicate sin. Sin will be a painful reality of this world until the triumphant return of Jesus. But I will not accept that as an excuse for doing nothing. I will not accept the excuse of, well, we can't ever make sin go away completely, so I'm just going to sit back and watch. I will not accept that. And so when we look at what can we do, by all means, if you feel, if you personally feel so convicted and compelled, give your time, give your money. There are many wonderful organizations fighting for the children being abused by this world, fighting for the adults being neglected by this world, fighting for those who have not received justice. There, there are wonderful organizations, and we see stories regularly of the blessings of this, right? Uh, what's the talent show with the, the exes? This video made the rounds on Facebook. Uh, one of the talent shows, right? And just this week, everyone shared the story of the man who had been in prison for 37 years because of a miscarriage of justice. Can you, I mean, four decades wrongfully imprisoned, and he was finally freed because there were people fighting for that. That's beautiful. So certainly, if you feel so convicted, give your money, give your time to the organizations that fight for the oppressed and the fatherless and the destitute and the poor and the needy. But the first response of every Christian must be prayer. And it must be earnest, deep prayer. Listen to these verses. This is Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, death, hate, violence. These are all physical symptoms of the spiritual cause of evil. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against these forces of darkness and evil in this world. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We're on the enemy's turf. 
We're engaged in battle against a spiritual force on his home ground. So if we're engaged in a spiritual battle, what does that mean for the weapons we bring with us? This is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And make no mistake, this life is war. I mean, you don't put on the armor of God to sit around your house and watch Netflix. This life is a battle. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Guys, stop saying prayer's not enough, it's time for action. Prayer is the divine power to destroy strongholds. Because we are not fighting a physical fleshly battle. We can certainly deal with the physical symptoms, but our war is spiritual. Our weapons must be so as well. Ephesians 6, 17-18, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. James 5, 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The world doesn't need your Facebook posts as much as it needs your prayer. The world doesn't need your fiery rant as much as it needs your prayer. And make no mistake, I've shared with you all, I think we're to speak up. I think we're to use our voices as, as Proverbs and Isaiah and Psalm said. It says, open your mouth for the mute. Open your mouth. Defend the rights. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice. We're called to use our voice. But our first reaction must be to use our prayers. Listen to this. Listen to this verse or these two verses in Psalm 141 when you think about prayer. And this is something I've sought to apply in my own life. I'll explain what I mean in a second. This is Psalm 141, verses 4 through 5. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds, in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. Remember earlier where we said abstain from every kind of evil, reject every kind of evil? That's Psalm 141, verse 4. Do not let my heart incline to evil. Do not let me spend my time with wicked deeds. Do not let me spend my company with men who pursue wicked deeds. Let me not eat of their delicacies. Reject all forms of evil. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. When I talked about Christians must have the courage to confront evil and call it out as such. David is saying here, look, if this evil does exist in my life, let a righteous man rebuke me and strike me on the head and let me accept it. And the last part of verse 5, yet my prayer is continually against their evil. We pray for things all the time. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. God, we pray for your name to be known. God, we pray for your glory to be shown. God, we pray for your people to unite. God, we pray for your peace, for your glory, for your joy, for your passion, for your heart. We pray for things all the time, and those are beautiful prayers. Psalm 141 tells us, pray against evil. Every time I, there's a, um, 
I'm going to phrase this very carefully, mindful of our entire audience. There are certain businesses, one on Park Ave, one on 42, that cater to an adult audience. Every time I pass those businesses, I pray that their doors shut immediately. I pray that those businesses fail in every single possible way. And if I'm on the highway and I see a billboard, if I see those types of stores, my immediate prayer is that it would fail immediately and its doors would be closed. I want us to be people who understand we are fighting a spiritual battle and have the courage to address the physical symptoms in front of us but also have the heart to go after the spiritual strongholds of evil with our weapon of prayer. As we pray against hate, as we pray against violence, as we pray against lies and rumors and falsehood, and the fear that drives our willingness and readiness to believe in them. That's at the heart of this is a fear. And I want us to be people who are not afraid. I realize this is not an easy conversation. If you want to talk about this, and many of you have reached out. I've had numerous individual conversations with people over these weeks. Please continue to do so. But when we look at this world... When we look at the contempt for one another, when we look at the division and the malice that we sling our words around with, when we look at our immediacy to pick sides and make this an us versus them confrontation, I expect it of the fallen world. In the same manner, I expect better of the church. I expect better of each and every one of us gathered here. I expect us to look at this world as God does. To see the people of this world with the same eyes that He does. People whom He desires to reach repentance and come to heaven. People whom He loves. And I expect us to love equally. And to behave accordingly. Is to be quite frank, I don't care what we say immediately. Do you love everybody? Yeah, of course. Do your thoughts reflect that? Do your actions reflect that? Do your words reflect that? Do we love people with the same universal nature that God does? As we abound in that love, do we abound in wisdom and discernment? Do we pursue wisdom and discernment? Or do we rush to condemn? Do we rush to identify the other and make sure that we're on the opposite side? Are we people who pursue wisdom and discernment? In that love, in that wisdom, in that discernment, are we people of courage? Are we people bold enough to confront evil when it arises, to call it out as such, to reject it in every form? I pray that we are. And are we people who believe in the power of prayer? And are we people whose prayer lives reflect that? 
I pray that we are. Times like these are never enjoyable. This pandemic has not been pleasant. Do I believe good things have come out of it? Absolutely. I've said that from the beginning. I've said we will look back on this and we will be grateful for all God has done. But that doesn't mean we enjoy the loss of jobs. That doesn't mean we enjoy the the mental and emotional anguish that people are going through being isolated from one another. Ahmaud Arbery's death Horrific doesn't even begin to describe it. George Floyd's death is a pain I can't imagine. But in moments of political and social upheaval, in moments of political and social division, the church is presented with an opportunity. Each and every one of you are presented with an opportunity to reflect the heart of God to a world in desperate need of a Savior. So my question is, do we respond to the suffering of a fallen world based on the emotions of the moment? Or do we respond based on the call of our lives as followers of Christ? Please join me in prayer. God, you are sovereign. And certainly, Lord, we eagerly anticipate and long for your returning. We do. If Jesus came back right now, it would be a joy undescribable. But until Christ returns, Lord, let us not neglect the opportunity we have to tell more and more people about you. Let us desire that all should come to repentance and let our lives reflect this desire. Give us love. Give us your eyes. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Let us be willing to stand against evil Whatever it means for ourselves. Let us attack this world with prayer. We thank you for who you are. And we celebrate you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.